Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility the biggest football games of the season are coming and bet rivers is introducing new parlay features just in time for the playoff push for your next bet try a multi-game parlay and combine bets across games to make your perfect combo combine player props game bets and even different same game parlays into one multi-game parlay make your parlay today at Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com to place your bet. This is the Denver City Cast with Holden Kushner, presented by Bet Rivers. It is Holden Mavison. It is the Denver City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. Fun show today. And as you may know, maybe you don't know, I have been talking to some of the brightest minds that I know in the sports betting industry and picking their brains and trying to help you become a better better, uh, especially if you haven't been betting uh, certain sports or live betting or props or anything like that. And I think even if you are a seasoned better, the best ones are always trying to learn. So today, spread a stare from Run Pure Bets. He's our NBA guy over there. A lot to talk to him about. Just a terrific NBA insider, first of all. Um, Jonathan Van Tobel at VEASAN. I'd put this guy on par with JVT, which means I really respect uh, both these guys to the utmost. So we'll talk a lot of NBA. He also works in NFL. He does a ton of tennis content. And for those of you that have never bet tennis, you can do it on Bet Rivers. Uh, there are some advantages to be had in tennis too. I know you're going, tennis, I don't want to watch that. You don't have to watch tennis, okay? Uh, also talk maybe about tailing. The key to being a good tailor, um, some of you just look at somebody's pick and you say, okay, I'm going to tail this bet. Uh, it's, if you really trust the person, that's fine. But I think there is an art to tailing somebody else's pick, and we can discuss that. So a lot of player props, sides, totals, how to get into the business with Spread a Stare. Joining me here on the Denver CityCast, presented by Bet Rivers. The aforementioned spread a stare, run pure sports. There's a lot of work in a lot of different places. We'll get to that in just a minute, but spread has been on the show before. Uh, one of the best NBA handicappers out there, the best one that I know, and uh, also does a ton of tennis. Now, I'm not a big tennis better, but tennis is a huge sport bet across the world. Uh, and there's obviously some edges to get there as well. So let's bring in Spread right now. Mr. Spread is there. Wonderful to see you again. Talk to me, my friend. How's the betting world treating you these days? Oh, Holden, it's been like navigating a minefield, but so much fun, right? None of us went into this because uh, we wanted an easy job, right? And it's definitely not been easy uh, with all the COVID news, the, the changing of the rules. Uh, <laughs> it's been a lot going on in the National Basketball Association. But hey, I feel like I've been doing pretty well. Uh, navigating it all. And, and I was talking to Tyler today. I said, you know, it's interesting doing this time period, right? Because, you know, went pro after, you know, betting the NBA, you know, pretty well for 10 years, right? Waited till eight years of success uh, to really just go pro for it and go full time. And that's right when everything changed, right? So I was counting on this experience of the last 10 years. And it's almost like, you know, we're learning, you know, even more, but, but some of it doesn't matter. Um, so in 15 years, this will be a great experience to go through. But I, sometimes I feel just like the novice betters, right? Because uh, everything's changing and there's not a lot of our past experience that is always relevant to what's going on right now. You know, I kind of feel like the NBA is the toughest sport to bet 
maybe it's just me. You know, you're good at it, but following the news up to lock, up to when a game starts, and especially on those West Coast games. So we have kind of an advantage out here. You're you're in California. I'm here in Denver. So the games start a little closer to normal time before bedtime. But there have been so many issues with COVID. And now in the NBA, you've got guys that just take off for rest. You know, they don't, you know, they get paid a lot of money, but they feel like, yeah, we're going to take some vacation here, which is fascinating because last year I understood it, the condensed games. I don't get it as much this year. So my question to you is what has been the biggest challenge betting the National Basketball Association this season, this season? I mean, you mentioned it. It's, it's how much the news up to lock affects how we approach these games. Now, like I said, this is where you throw out all your experience, right? Before this happened, I love to hit overnights. Here's my idea. Um, because the sports book have to put up every single game on every single sport, right? I can concentrate on the NBA. So I'm not thinking that I'm smarter than them or better than them. But hey, I can put more time into this and I can build an NBA model that is as good or better than yours combined with my knowledge, me taking notes, watching the game, stuff like that, right? The overnight market's almost gone. I mean, we're not seeing uh, market-based moves overnight rarely anymore. I, it was funny, you know, on a nine-game slate a couple nights ago. Um, so that's, I don't even always bet the overnights, but I definitely track them. I woke up only one had significant money move that wasn't information-based. Uh, this is a, a far cry from what was happening uh, two to three years ago. Uh, I mean, I'm laughing here just because I know. I feel your pain, buddy. And as someone that focuses on the NBA as much as you do, it just blows my mind. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. I find it very challenging in the NFL. And listen, we went into this business because we love sports and we like making money. But this is these are different times. And when you can be profitable, basically break even for people that aren't professional betters, I think you're doing pretty well. Um, so let's let's get to this then. Betting pregame, betting live. You and I bet the NBA differently. Um, obviously, you've got more experience in the NBA. I'm more NFL, Major League Baseball, college basketball, but I still dabble in the NBA. And for me, I look at a pregame live line and I say, well, I, let's say the Nuggets are minus four against the Knicks. Well, if the, when the Knicks go on the run and I can get the Nuggets at plus one or minus one, I'm going to bet that game live. To me, that's the best way to bet basketball. But for you, why is betting pregame the best way to bet basketball? That's a, that's a great question. And I think <laughs> I'd be hard-pressed to make an argument that, that what I do is actually better. Uh, one thing that I do enjoy about the NBA, uh, like most bettors, right, I started betting the NFL. And the cool thing about the NFL is you watch the market, right? So you get your Sunday night openers, and then the market evolves or matures throughout the week, right? And then um, most people feel that the closing line on Sunday is the sharpest line possible with all the information given, right? So the NBA is like the same thing, but it's fast forward, right? <laughs> so it's like two hours in the NBA is a day <laughs> and NFL yeah. thing, right? So I get to watch the market mature the same exact way. Uh, the people who usually hit the openers, number one, we know they like underdogs, right? They like taking the points there. So you'll see a lot of that. And it's some of the sharpest money, right? So I respect an early line move a lot more than a late line move. Um, because on a late line move, I wonder how many people is it just trying to get action after a tough day at work, right? And they're grabbing mm -hmm. beer. Where these early line moves, right? These are usually guys like me uh, that are modeling and feel that they found an edge and the sports book ha has made a mistake. So I do enjoy right. like watching um, the market mature. Um, and I, that's what I do like uh, about the pregame NBA betting. The other thing is you, if you're prone to second guess yourself, live betting's hard, right? So let's say you did like that Nuggets minus four in your early scenario, right? And for yeah. them to get to plus one in the first half, they're going to have to be down by 10. It's hard to say like, wait, was I wrong? <laughs> like maybe the Nuggets <laughs> don't have it tonight. Like, I know. Maybe, maybe I did this, this matchup wrong. Um, so let's just go off your earlier example, and I'll just give you like one tip for the live betting. Usually in the first half, you're not going to get those huge swings, right? Um, so like on that, the Nuggets minus four example, right? Even if they're down by 10, you're not going to get really more than plus one or plus two. Once the middle of the third quarter starts, that's where you start getting those huge uh, fluctuations. So my advice, if you're like a novice uh, NBA better, um, and one thing what I would like to do, like especially when we were doing it really heavily uh, with the sports kegs on the live shows on Run Peter mm -hmm. Bets, 
um, to prevent myself, because I do have that problem second guessing myself, I would actually write down target lines before it happened, right? So I'd maybe say, okay, Denver plus three is a target. A lot of times they were seven points, you know, almost like a free teaser. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'd use my target lines. But if you want to do the ARB, right, which, which people do like, and it's the arbitrage and the idea that you get plus right. money on both sides, right? I get plus 150 on the Nuggets. Uh, and in this case, let's say the Wizards were their opponent, right? There's, there's two cities you've worked in, right? So the Nuggets are playing the Wizards, and I want to get the Wizards at plus 152. It's hard to do that in the first half. But once the third quarter and the middle of the third quarter starts, these lines are really going to fluctuate. And that's when I think you should really be trying to focus in uh, on getting your live bets in. All right. Very good. I, I like that. I, the third quarter thing is really interesting, too, because in college basketball, it's two halves, right? And that's and I think you noticed it. In the second half, you get to that second television timeout, just under 12 minutes to play, and that's in the game. And I think that's where the, that, that, to me, is some of the best – best observation that I've ever heard in betting. And I'm not even kidding. You know, when to attack it. College basketball, kind of same thing. I like attacking it. I will attack it in the first half. I'll attack it at the under 12 too. So if you are live betting a game, just to go back to this, you are not going to probably place your live bet on a side until the third quarter. And what about the totals? Unless I've created target numbers and I feel real confident in them. Right. So okay. like if I've created, it's like I say, I really want. Um, so usually on a target, the minus four isn't the best. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> let's let's say they were plus four. That'd be one that I would use as a target number a lot better since going through zero is kind of weird. So then I'm saying, OK, anything above plus 10, I want. You know, I don't think that they're going to lose by double digits. Right. So I, if I have my target number, I will hit those in, in the second quarter. If I'm trying to arbitrage or really get the, the crazy numbers, uh, I notice the line fluctuations really start to swing around the middle of the third. Middle of the third. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. Okay. So that was the first thing. Talking about some NBA, getting some background there. Um, You're not as big of the player props guy, which is absolutely fine. So I want to go through your process, betting sides and totals pregame. And you mentioned you're watching the lines all day. What are your favorite stats to use? That's the first way that we'll, we'll uncover this. Favorite stats to use betting NBA. All right. Yeah. So I thought about this whole thing because I knew we were going to do about this. So um, yep. just some general ideas here. I'm not, I'm not, bl- I'm making a model, but I am not blindly following it. I'm using it um, kind of as a pathway or a guide uh, on where I should be spending more time. Because like I said, this is a really quick market. Um, it's not like the NFL where I could do a deep dive on every single game right, from the time right. the lines come out. So I want to make the most of my time. So I'm using the model as a guide like, hey, there might be uh, an advantage here. The books might have made a, a mistake here. Let's dig deeper and let's find out. Is this line move warranted? Is there a reason that my number is different? Or, hey, did I actually find the edge, right? Um, so the two numbers, I, I, I actually have a pretty simplistic model um, compared to some of the other guys. So I thought my model was pretty cool until I got online, you know, and started working with some of the best of the best of these guys. Uh, right. Like, like guys like what will cap, right. I mean, the guy uh, models predictive modeling for a living. So his is so much more uh, complex than mine, but you know, it was really cool when I talked to him and I explained to him my model and I was almost like kind of embarrassed at how simplistic it was, it was something very simple that he told me. He said, if it's working, it's good. You yeah. know, it doesn't need to have 37 tabs or 37 inputs to be a good model. It, it needs to work. Um, and so when I basically started this without all this information, uh, my idea was that I, I would want to, I was trying to figure out how the books were getting to the number, right? So I felt good if a lot of my numbers, uh, came really close to their numbers, right? Because if my model tells me that I have an edge on, you know, seven of the nine games on the board, eh, I'm probably doing something wrong. Um, so in, in my kind of search to do that, what I've learned was, I think, I think their models are pretty simple too because it was pretty easy for me to replicate what they were doing and then it started to make sense to me. What are their edge? Can they actually model this game better than me or is the edge the minus 110, right? And then I have to win at 52.7% and not just 50.5%, right, to be profitable. And it got me thinking, you know, obviously, you know, they're doing a great job putting these numbers up and these numbers land really close to the closing line very often. Uh, but the true edge is the minus 110. So that made me feel a little more comfortable. So 
Uh, in my simplistic model, I like to use uh, point differential, which is simple. It's just the number of points, uh, you know, the team has scored compared to the number of points the team's given up. You divide it by the number of games played, right? Um, so, for example, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks have been very good in point differential over the years. This year, uh, the Utah Jazz have the highest point differential. Then we have net rating, right? That's the offensive uh, net rating and the defensive net rating. And then you, uh, you know, get the differential between that. Uh, net rating is based per 100 possessions. So the difference between point differential and net rating is net rating factors in or, or eliminates pace. It, it eliminates pace from there, and it's giving you a per 100 possession things, right? So that's a great place to start. Then I prefer to use, um, I want to know last five. I have last five weighted heavier. I have last five and last 10, both of my model. I weight last five twice as much as I weigh uh, the last 10. And my idea is here is these NBA teams, um, they're all great players. They're all really talented. And, and just like tennis, when you catch them in good form, it doesn't matter if their record's 11-18 on the year, right? If they've won the, their last four games. And as an NBA fan, you've seen that before, right? Where a team that's not that good gets on a hot streak and you see them playing to their potential, uh, playing to their full talent. So I really like to uh, use uh, last five. I, I weight that twice as much as my last 10. And then, of course, I run a separate rating for how they do at home and away, right? And hey, <laughs> as a Nuggets fan, you should know this better than anyone. And that used to be the joke, right? The Nuggets at home, you bet on every time and you just paid yep. them on the road. Why, why am I spending all this time building this model? Because uh, the home road splits, so to speak, uh, were so egregious. Now, this year they've been a little better, um, but it's really important. And I also like to factor in uh, how, how they play at home compared to on the road. Um, so mine's real simple. And then you know what I do, Holden, that I feel, <laughs> you know, gives me a fun just way that I know I'm different. Before I start inputting in my numbers, because first of all, like I'm older, so I don't know how to do it. I actually manually input all my numbers. Uh, a lot of these guys scrape. Uh, I like manually inputting them because I feel like, uh, you know, it gives me a better idea of, of what I'm seeing. And when I'm doing shows like this, I can call the numbers upon easier. Um, but before <laughs> I manually input, um, I actually just make my own number off the top of my head, right? I just look at the Atlanta Hawks and I go, what do I think they are right now? And I put that in and that's a factor. And there's no statistics going into that, right? But that allows me to differentiate. So I'm just not getting the straight number uh, that the books are giving every single time. And I also think that it allows like my subconscious to factor in things that are tough to, to quantify, right? Like I'm like, well, like Luke is out right now on Dallas, right? So I, I can lower them more than the statistics are going to show uh, for the full season, uh, things of that nature. So it takes a little bit of confidence, but I actually encourage people to do it. Just throw one extra category in there, and it's just simply what you think. Like off the top of your head, what do you think this team is? How, how many points better or worse do you think they are uh, than an average team? So uh, like I said, it's a pretty simple model. From listening to this, I would think that people could be able to rep uh replicate it fairly easily, uh, you know, but my ace in the hole is that that one number off the top of my head that uh, no one could really predict or replicate. That's really interesting. What about trends? Because I look at trends um, and they really have to smack me in the face and they got to be recent. Okay. I can't go back 21 years. Well, the, you know, the Nuggets have beaten the Lakers this many times over the last 21 years. Right. Basically, unless it's happened this season, with the roster that these guys have and it really does adjust like if Jokic is out for five games like you have to take some of those trends and throw them out the door out the window so my question to you is talk to me about trends and what if any trends that you like to use i'm i'm with you i'm not really too big on the trends either um look at look at the roster turnover these teams have right so so you made a great point like what's the point of me using a trend on the cleveland cavaliers the Cleveland Cavaliers are so much better this season than they are the last, uh, you know, three to four seasons. So if you tell me, well, the Pacers, you know, are 8-0 against the Cavaliers over the last four years, and I don't know if they are. I'm using that just as an example. I'm going to throw it out because this year's Cavaliers uh, team is different. Uh, I think that the, the recent trends get captured in my last five and the fact that I use, you know, last five at home or last time period. I don't actually use five uh -huh. games. I use time periods. Um, because the last five for an away trip is not going to do me very good if uh, yeah. they've been at home for, for seven games, right? So, so you know, the last five, you know, cor cor correlates to a month ago. Um, so I personally um, don't use trends that often, especially on sides. You know where I like trends, Holden? I like them on the totals because I think that Ooh. they stand up a little more. 
um, when I'm trying to make my totals. When a team starts going under for a little while or starts going over for a little while, that usually has a reason. And we might not even be able to uh, pinpoint why it is. Um, but, you know, once teams start picking up the pace or, or slowing down the pace, you can kind of throw out like earlier season numbers, um, you know, and really rely on your last five or what you're seeing in the last five games there. So uh, if you give me a trend in the totals, I I'm much more likely uh, to take that into big effect than I am a trend for the sides. So is that just a big feel thing? Is that more of a feel with the with the totals? Because, yeah, you're seeing the recent trends, but you have to figure out which ones you want to use spread. Yeah, so totals, uh, my totals model, like I said, once again, it's real simplistic. I like to use, you know, the total points in the game, the, the points mm -hmm. scored, uh, points against, and then you just rate pace just so high, right? <laughs> it's, because totals, it's almost like you guys talk about when you do uh, for Run Pure Sports and they're just calculating usage and it means mm -hmm. so much for the daily fantasy players. I feel that pace is just the, is just the usage stat, so, so to speak, uh, when you're dealing with the totals. If you get a high-paced game, um, you know, and the number doesn't correlate, like the books haven't put it in there. It's just so nice to go over. And then some teams are just so low paced. And then, you, of course, you match them, right? So I get a high paced team versus a low paced team. That's where the intuition comes in. Which team's really going to be able to inflict their style of play? Is this team prone? You know, there are teams that like to play slow. When things speed up, they have no problems with it, right? There's teams that, that like to play fast that will get sucked into, into playing slow uh, against their will, so to speak. So, um, Pace to me is one of the biggest numbers there when I'm looking at the totals. Spread a stare um, with a few different places. I know him from Run Pure Bets. Uh, we'll get him to plug his stuff a little bit later on. But I think that's, I mean, I, there's really a lot of helpful stuff that you just mentioned there. And people can go if you have your own process already. You can kind of listen to some things that Spread liked and maybe make some adjustments or try it out. You know, that's the other thing, Spread. I feel like people go into this and you have to bet a full unit on everything you know if you don't bet a full unit i can't be invested like let's just say you're 100 i'm a hundred dollar unit better okay that's not a lot we work with guys that are thousand dollar unit betters i know guys in the business ten thousand twenty thousand twenty five thousand i know a twenty five thousand dollar unit better think about that for a minute that's a ton of cash and i'm pissed off if i lose a hundred dollars well What's wrong with trying to apply some of the things that you've learned? So I'm learning things from Spread. I'm learning things from Van Tobel. I'm learning things from this guy. And then maybe just try it out at like a $5 level or a dollar level. Like, have you ever tried that? Because I, I have, and it has helped me a ton. And I think it's something that, you know, listen, if your unit's $5, you're not gonna put five. Try, try a dollar bet once in a while and try and work things out. Have you ever thought, even thought about doing something like that? Because for me, I talk to a lot of betters trying to get into the business or into the industry or into just betting. And I say, try this. Just don't lose $100 on your bet when you don't know what you're doing. Dip your toes in the water, spread. No, I did that. And I, <laughs> I did exactly what you're saying, right? And I did it when I was developing uh, my, my totals model. And here's my idea. It actually was an easier tracking method than me <laughs> having, really? right? Rather than having to fill out a spreadsheet and put the result of every single one, I could just go to my history, right? As I was betting them all. And I felt it gave me a better snapshot of what was actually gonna happen. And I agree with you. And you just get a little bit of skin in the game. And yeah, I mean, like if you're a hundred dollar better, two to $5, but do every single game on your model. And I think that you'll learn a lot really quickly. Now, of course, you know, you do have to be willing to lose some money, but hey, Holden, you wanna know what the other great thing about this is? Let's say you build just a terrible model. You could just fade it. <laughs> Here, this is this is probably going to be the most helpful answer that anybody's going to hear on this series that that uh, that I'm doing here, picking the minds of the betters. How do you build a model? What's in your model? What's a model? Can you please tell us all about it because I think it's one thing that a lot of betters don't even they don't even know what it is. What's a model? How do you build it? How do you apply it? Yeah, I mean, I went over it a little bit earlier, but yeah, just to review, I yeah, used, just get into it. Get yeah. into it. You know, I just, you know, just use an Excel sheet. And now, I mean, the cool thing, man, compared to how it was, it's so much easier to get help uh, from people you know, because you can use these Google Docs, right? And I can actually share my model with you, right? As you're building it, or you can share it with me and I can see things. But yeah, I mean, you just build it up and your idea is you are trying. So, um, 
on the sides. I'm just trying to get, you know, I put my average team in zero and I want to get, you know, are they better or worse than an average team and by how many points? And, and so simply when I get to it, you know, I can say, uh, you know, this certain team is uh, three points better than an average team. Their opponent tonight is four points worse. Okay, now I'm at seven. Now I need to decide how much is my home court advantage worth, right? It used to be worth three across the board. It used to be worth three across the board. Didn't really think about it. Didn't really talk about it. Just plugged it in. Then the pandemic came and everybody started re-evaluating how much home field was worth. And I thought it was, so I talk about how this is, it's been tough to just grind the profit every month, but it's just been so fascinating for a learning experience, right? Um, let, talk, let's talk about home court or, or home field advantage, right? Home court, yeah. So um, I, I know I know we're going to NBA, but let me slide over to the NFL here just for the advantage, Please. right? So in my mind, I always thought that the, uh, the crowd really wasn't that big a deal and that what really got you was the travel, not being in your own home, not getting the extra time to prepare because you are traveling, right? Switching time zones sometimes, right? Uh, the distractions that are on the road, you're not just driving straight to practice and back, you know, probably a little harder to lock in, maybe a, a little more temptation if you're a younger team, right? Being on the road where you can get away with stuff, so to speak. Um, so I felt that the home field and home court was going to be the same during the pandemic. And that's where I was absolutely wrong, right? Without those mm -hmm. fans there in the NFL, some people had absolutely zero, absolutely zero uh, for home field advantage on, on really? their model, right? And, and it was just coming, and that, that's the way that things were coming out. So now when people coming back, people are starting to readjust. It's not just a flat three, no matter what. The only teams getting threes, right? Kansas City, Denver, Green Bay, like you gotta really have an advantage. It's so great that you have that in Denver too. Let's switch back to the NBA. Nuggets, one of the few teams that people are now giving three points to uh, for home court advantage. Really? Uh, a lot of people are doing two and two and a half in their models. And just the idea that um, it's just not as pronounced as it used to be. These teams are better on the road. Uh, the travel conditions are better. And in some cases, the talent disparities just are just shining through uh, too much. So even, you know, like a, a bad team like the Kings used to catch uh, teams napping maybe when they came in uh, to Sacramento. That's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, so a long-winded way to say that, you know, I'm building the numbers. I'm using net ratings. I'm using uh, a point differential. I'm using their performance over the last five. I'm using the performance over the last 10. I'm using their performance um, over the last three weeks. So the reason I did last three weeks because I didn't want to do home last 10. And it's because I said earlier, um, the last 10 doesn't do me any good if they've been at home uh, for seven days and I'm looking at their away last 10, right? Because that was a long time ago. You could have a completely different roster. So instead of using last 10, I switched it to three weeks. And I don't even necessarily love that with COVID. I'm actually thinking of adjusting that one to making it smaller. Um, and, and maybe, you know, won't even be an input uh, in certain spots, but with the way that these teams are changing so much. And then like, I, so I actually come up with a home rating and an away rating. So I treat these teams um, differently depending on whether they're not they're home on the road. And that's how much I believe in, uh, you know, the home road splits, especially for the NBA teams. And then, like I said, uh, Holden, I, I think that the real special touch is just throw that category in there that has no uh, statistical, uh, you know, no statistical basis. It's just, what do you think? Like, when I look at the Atlanta Hawks, like, what do I think? I think they're about three points better than the average team, but I don't have any statistics to back it up. I put that in, then I dump my numbers in. And if you're putting them in manually like I am, uh, by this point of the season, it's a little unfair because I got a pretty good idea of what the statistics are going to tell me. Uh, but I still think it's fun, you know? And like I said, it allows my, like, subconscious to take in a bunch of things that I can't necessarily verbalize uh, to you right now. I don't even know, maybe not even know why I believe uh, that team's that good, but it's kind of, you know, the accumulation of just working on this all day and then watching the games all evening. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, this is a lot of fun, actually. I, again, I love learning the processes behind these guys and I try to apply some of it myself. So this is not just you learning things or you, maybe you're screaming at spread saying spread. This is the dumbest thing ever, but that, that could actually help you too. Right. <laughs> if you don't like what he's doing, then you don't apply it. But I must say, um, there's some things that I've learned from Spread here, and I've known this guy a little while, and we just haven't talked about this stuff, so it's great to uncover it. Okay, 
uh, let's get to a sport that not a lot of people play, okay? At least n- nobody, uh, you you and uh, a lady named Susie, you're the two people that bet, eh, JJ too. Three people I know bet on, t- and his father. Four people I know <laughs> bet on tennis spread. Your buddy Gil um, Alexander loves it. On, on who? Gil, Gil Alexander loves Susie it too? Loves All right. Tennis. Gil Alexander, five people five now that, that love betting. How'd you get into tennis? Talk to me about that. How do you get into betting tennis? And then we're going to go down the rabbit hole with this sport. All right. So um, <laughs> quick, quick uh, biography of my tennis journey. So I was one of the best uh, players. Tennis was my best sport as a kid, right? And, okay. and I think the idea was I wasn't really that good an athlete, right? But tennis is one of the few sports where if you learn the fundamentals, you can beat a really good athlete. Whereas in basketball and football, that's not the case, right? I could have practiced till the cows come home, right? Um, I'm not tackling Nick Chubb, right? And I'm not going to be able to guard uh, Jalen Green, right? But in tennis, you know, I had a chance even against the better athletes. And I did I did have a very good work ethic, so it worked out into my favor. So study the game, learn the game. Probably was on track uh, to get a college scholarship. Um, but I blew my elbow out with tennis elbow and it was completely my fault. I bought one of those real stiff rackets cause I wanted a, a huge serve, uh, in, in hindsight, you know, probably was the beginning of my elbow problem. So know the sport really well. Right. Uh, then, like I said, you know, been gambling 20 years, probably taking it seriously for, for, you know, 10 to 12. Uh, so this is probably, I don't even know how many years ago. Right. But it, it was pretty early. Right. And I was doing pretty well gambling NFL. I was doing pretty good gambling MD. I was working at UPS at the time, and I had a week off, right? And, uh, you know, I woke up. I did all my handicapping. I was ready for the games to start at 4 p.m., but I had the week off. I wanted some action, right? So I'm flipping through the channels. What's live? What's live? And I go, ah, oh, tennis is on, right? And I just started watching, right? And so I said, the first day, I said, okay, I'm just going to watch, right? Take notes, but I know the sport, right? And then, you know, probably beginner's luck, right? But go on a heater just because I'm watching stuff, you know, because – so tennis, the tournament format, right? So let's say I want to prep for tomorrow's game. Like I can watch the two matches. They play in the very, you know, in the same environment, you know, oftentimes the same court the very day before. So I can get a real good idea and I can get an idea, okay, how's her forehand going to match up against her backhand? How's she going to do returning her serve? Uh, you know, like how, how do these girls like to play? And I just started doing really well at it. Um, and then, you know, from there, if you really like to gamble, <laughs> Spend your time betting tennis. Once tennis season starts kicking off in January, there's times that there's a tennis match going on for almost 24 hours a day. I mean, if you want action, you want opportunity, you know, you want to be able to get stuff down and gamble a lot, tennis is the way to go. There's definitely more opportunities uh, doing that. It's funny, before I was doing a lot of boxing in UFC, and, and I felt it was the same way. For me, I didn't model it as much. I was doing a lot more tape study. And it was like, why, why tape study UFC if I learned something I can use it maybe twice a year, right? These tennis players, I can use it, you know, 50 to 70 times a year, you know, once I learn their tendencies, their strengths, their weaknesses. So I just started doing tape study on the tennis players. And then, like I said, if you like to gamble, it is just, there's just constantly stuff uh, going on. And I really like the tape study aspect of it. And I've always thought that, you know, as gambling got more popular in the United States and got legalized, that tennis would start picking up just because of that reason. Haven't really seen it yet, though. You know, not really the big boom uh, that mm. I thought. So maybe uh, America's not as degenerate as I thought. It's unfortunate, isn't it, Spread? It's unfortunate. <laughs> so let's say, because we got the Aussie Open coming up, right? Right around the corner. It's always the first one. Um, you're trying to bet tennis for the first time in your life. How do you go about it? What are you doing? My, what are we like the bankroll? You can't tell somebody what to do with the bankroll. I can just say, don't go throwing full units on a sport that you've never bet before. But what's some of the advice you'd give to a new tennis better or someone just looking to dip their toes in it? Mm, that's tough. That'd be really tough for me because if you don't know the sport, right. And I do mainly tape study. Uh, I, th- I think it might be tough uh, to do the tape study here. Um, but let's just say, so if you don't know it, I, I'm not, I, you just, just read my articles and take my picks. Cause I think it's going to be a really steep learning curve, but let's just say, uh, that you do have some, some idea of how tennis is played, the strategy and stuff like that. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll go with a person like that. Let, let's go into factors that I'm looking at, right? First of all, just like the, the NBA and the NFL to become a professional, you have to be incredibly talented, right? So we're looking for small edges, right? Small edges. So the first thing I look at is surface. 
So uh, the Australian surface is a great example, okay. right? So I know the Australian Open is on a hard court and it plays a little quicker than normal hard courts, right? So what are quick courts okay. going to favor? They're going to favor big hitters, right? Because the idea is, number one, I can get more aces off my serve. I'll get more service winners off my serve. And my defensive opponent is going to have less time and the ball's not going to bounce as high for them to return the ball to me, right? Um, so I so I prefer power players on quicker surfaces. The Australian Open uh, plays rather quick, so that's the first thing I'm looking at. You know, the second thing I'm looking at is their playing styles. So I guess, so let's say you're brand new and you really want to do it. You're going to have to watch for a couple weeks before you place a bet. But what I like to do is I like to do like tape study and just simply take notes. And I just try to, and that's why I said you need like a little bit of experience to, to know what you're watching. Um, but I'm rating their serve. Okay. So I'm rating their serve. Number one, their ability to get aces and service winners. And number two, um, their ability to hit it consistently. So there's players that even though you may watch them and they're looking great, I'm actually looking for things in their form. They're going to make me think that they have like a wildly um, variant serve that comes from having like an inconsistent toss. Uh, maybe they don't have the, the uh, real traditional motion. Those are things that while it could do well, uh, they're more prone to inconsistency on their serve. So I'm taking notes on how powerful their serve is. Another thing that I like to watch uh, on serves is the difference in speed between the first and the second serve. Um, when a person has a dramatic drop in speed on the second serve, that indicates to me that it's, it's a confidence deal because the idea is they can obviously dial it up, right? If I can hit my first serve 110 and my second one 70, I can hit it more than 70 miles per hour. I'm really worried about not getting that in. That gives me a good indication on the player's confidence level that day or against that opponent. So those are other things I'm taking note of. Um, second thing, during the rallies, it's kind of weird. Like I said, it's these are little things that you're going to have to notice, but court position is so important, right? So there's a big difference, and it doesn't seem like there would be, but between being two feet behind the baseline and being four feet behind the baseline is a big difference. From two feet behind the baseline, I can step in and I can be aggressive at any point, right? At any point, I can try to take control, hit the winner, and really go on the offense. Where if I'm four feet behind, all I'm really going to be doing is defending, and I'm just going to be trying to get the ball back. So uh, I like to take notes on court positions and where some players feel comfortable. Now, just because you take a defensive court position isn't bad. Look at Rafael Nadal, one of the greatest of all time, right? The guy, the guy will stand right behind the fence. Uh, to return serve, but he knows his defense is that good, right? And that he can coax his opponent into errors and that he can grind them down. Uh, he has more consistency. He has more stamina. That's how he likes to play. So then, you know, I'm classifying these players as either aggressive players, defensive players, or all-around players, and those are players like Sloan Stevens who can who can go back and forth at a whim, you know, depending. So uh, then I try to match my uh, surface to how the players are. So, for example, I'm going to want an aggressive player on the quick courts in Australia, I'm going to want a defensive player on the slow clay in the French Open. Uh, was that helpful, or uh, <laughs> I'm not? I must sure how say, we want to get into this. I love it. I love it. Um, I, I think this is just wonderful. I'm actually typing down notes and writing notes when you're. I'm not even kidding. Oh, great! Because I'd like to do more with tennis. Blind tailing to me. You know, we should get into tailing too. We will in just a second. Men versus women. Does it matter much? Like. How deep, how deep do you have to get to have to know the difference between the men's side and the women's side? Because there is a, I mean, let's just face it, there's a difference than strength as far as the strength goes, right? What's oh, the big exactly. difference in no, betting? It? It's almost like watching two different sports. So yeah. um, if you're choosing, and I would say choose one to, to start, um, I think it's the type of better you are. Are you, a, are you a player that likes your favorites to win, right? You take a lot of favorites in the NFL, and then get pissed, you, you know, if the Packers don't cover against the Ravens uh, when they're minus seven, when they're clearly the better team. I feel like on the ATP, there are far less upsets, especially on the big stage. Uh, and let me throw in another tip for you there, too. Um, so at a Grand Slam, right, the Australian Open, that's where I want to play more favorites. Why? Because I don't have to handicap their motivation. There's so many points on the line. There's so much prize money and prestige on the line. I know I'm going to get the best effort from them. That that the the, two, the uh, tournament that's worth 250 points two weeks before, I'm going to look for more underdogs there, right? Because I know that my Djokovic's, my Nadal's are just trying to get a couple matches in 
They're not, they don't need that tournament. Their, their whole point of this trip is to win the Australian Open, not, not to win in Adelaide, not to win in Sydney, not to win the smaller tournaments that lead up to it, right? So in the tournaments, the earlier tournaments, I'm going to be taking a lot more underdogs, even on the ATP side. Uh, in the Grand Slams, that's where I'm really going to be chalky and expect the favorites um, to show out. But to answer your original question on the men versus women, if I like to bet favorites and I like consistency in my performances um, and I really just want to bet the best of the best, I'm going to bet the men. Me personally, I like betting underdogs, right? I like that plus 154, plus 208, right? Um, so I go for the women's side. The women, let's be honest, they're more inconsistent and... Uh, there's not a lot of men that can beat the top three, uh, a Djokovic, the Nadal's better is a little older now, right? But in his prime, not a lot of people can beat him. And the WTA, that was when Serena Williams was here, the same way with Serena, right? But right now it's wide open. Even though Ash Barty's number one, even though she's the best player in the world, there's probably 25 to 30 women, right? That, that could beat her if they're having a really good day. So if you like playing underdogs, you like getting the plus money, um, you know, and, and that's how I like to roll then I think the WTA is for you. Well, the WTA is for me. That's wonderful to know. I'm glad. And, and in all honesty, when I watch women's tennis, uh -huh. like I kind of feel like um, it's just, it's what I prefer. It's three guys on the men's side for forever now. Mm -hmm. The women's side's more open. Right. And in, in basketball, I've always complained, oh, the fundamentals at the NBA level. It's, you know, you like the fundamentals. Of in all honesty, though, I kind of, it's a little slower of a game, so I can actually like process the strategy and some other things that are going on because it is a bit slower. And uh, yeah. for anybody I that's think gonna, oh, a lot more strategy in the WTA, yeah, a lot more strategy yes. because in the ATP, right, the best servers they rarely ever get their serve broken, right? If you're watching a men's match and your guy gets his serve broken, you almost feel like you lost the set. So the the way to win in the ATP you have a big serve you have a big forehand you blow your opponent off the court right that's the majority of players in the top 50. on the women's side it's opposite ash barty the world number one she's a crafty player she likes to use slice uh, she can come to the net she's what i you know termed earlier an all-around player right and you have pliskova at, at you know i think she's about number four number six right now she's a power player she's an aggressive player right then you look at simona Halep, a former world number one so these are all three number ones right Simona Halep's a purely defensive player. Now, that doesn't mean if you leave a sitter out there, she's not going to blow right by you. No. Uh, she's a professional tennis player. She has the ability uh, to, to knock the crap off the ball, but she has no problems playing like Rafael Nadal, sitting back and just waiting for you to beat yourself. So I feel like there's more variety in the women's game uh, that make it more fun for me uh, to watch from an aesthetic standpoint. Did I tell you we were going to talk about anything else? Or have we covered the gamut here? Because the gambit, the gamut, I don't know what it is, but... I love the NBA discussion. The tennis thing is really like I'm now ready to do my $1 bets in tennis. Once the season comes around, like it, it's going to be one of my goals in 2022, learn how to bet tennis. I, I'm serious. And for those of you that just bet one sport, I mean, if you're, if you've figured out one sport, tell me if you agree with this or not. If you figured out how to bet one sport, I kind of feel like it can correlate to other sports if you've if you've kind of mastered a process. Like every process has to be different spread, but there's also going to be just some core foundation things that are gonna help you move from one sport to the next. Yeah, I mean, and I think the tennis and the NBA correlate. Um, let's look, even the physical attributes, right? Lateral quickness is so important, right? What do you need in the NBA to be a good defender? You gotta move side to side. What do you need to be a good tennis player? You gotta move side to side. A lot of the same uh, physical attributes are necessary. And then the second thing, and we kind of didn't get into this as much, uh, so I'll give you a quick brief down. You know, the NBA, this is why you simply cannot use a model. I can't just run my model in the morning, place the bets, right, and then expect to have, you know, my mortgage paid at the end of the month. That's not going to work. Why? Because uh, just like, you know, uh, the NBA regular season, 82 games. We, we know, Holden, these guys don't care about all 82 games. We got to figure out when they're going to play hard, when the travels got them down, three games in four nights, uh, are they going to look past this opponent, right? Obviously, a team's going to be a lot more up to play the Golden State Warriors than they are the Sacramento Kings, right, for the Northern California swing, right? But we know this for a fact. Tennis is the exact same way. And like I, I alluded to it earlier, a lot of these guys, they have appearance fees to show up to these smaller tournaments, and they only want to get a round or two in 
then they want to get onto the site of the big tournament and begin the real preparation. Uh, because let's not let's be honest, you know, unless you're a hardcore fan, nobody remembers who won Sydney last year, but everybody knows that Novak Djokovic won the Australian Open, right? Um, so I feel that tennis and the NBA are correlated because understanding motivation and travel. Uh, are wow. the same and I'll tell you what just like fatigue fades right you guys do it in the NBA and I know you do it when you see a team you know they went to Los Angeles they went to Phoenix then they went to Utah now they're in Denver tonight I like the Nuggets tonight right because that's a tough gamut to run LA then Phoenix then Utah now you're in Denver right three and four nights that's tough same thing if I see that uh, a woman is in the finals in Abu Dhabi on a Sunday morning and she's going to play her next match in Mexico on Tuesday that, that's pretty rough right and, and they're not going to withdraw from those tournaments because if it's a top player, that they're getting $100,000 just to show up, regardless of the results. It's, they have appearance fees in tennis, right? So, the, you know, just like in the NBA where we use the fatigue fade, the fatigue fade is just as important in tennis. And a lot of times we will fade a big name coming off a of championship week, right? We see them win the championship. They got a bunch of points. It was in Moscow. Uh, their next tournament's in Paris, right? Something like that. You know, hey, even though, you know, it's a great player, a top 10 player going against the number 60 player, I'm going to put a little number on the money on the world number 60 because uh, that's a tough travel, a lot of time zones. You know, in the NBA, they only have to do three time zones. I mean, you'll get tennis players yep. that are traveling eight time zones in between tournaments. Oh so um, I think that your point about the correlation and learning the sports helps because I feel that um, handicapping both sports has definitely helped me become better at each sport. I mean, I eight hours travel. Like, how do you even handicap that? Right. Eight hours of travel. Yeah. They are flying private jets, but come on, man, that's a lot of travel. Only the top <laughs> ten are really in those private jets, though, right? I really? Mean, yeah. So they I have mean, a massive I, advantage. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Do they have a massive advantage in those first matches after a long trip? Do you have any idea there? I I would still think it still fatigues them, but I would say more than them having a massive advantage. If I know the player's number 50, she's coming off a big tournament, and then I know she has to fly like a commercial airline. Now, she's probably in first class, but still, right? We, we know how rough that can be. So uh, I would say more than it gives the top players an advantage, it just adds to the disadvantage of the weaker players. Spread. Terrific stuff, man. I, I really appreciate this. Young covered some things I wasn't aware of. And I've never really had a discussion about betting tennis. I mean, I'm just looking at it. I, I guess the last thing would be tailing. Okay, let me just ask you about tailing then. Um, I think there's an art to it. If you trust one or two guys and you just look at their bets, okay, I get it. I'll just tail them. This guy's really good. He's up this many units. He's a great better. Do you have any advice for tailing? Yes, I do. You do? Good. Use tailing, use tailing as an opportunity to learn the sport. So, for example, let's just say I was the guy earlier that I talked about, doesn't know anything about tennis at all, right? Go ahead and tail my plays and then take notes because guess what? Even if you only put $1 or $5 on it, you're going to pay a little more attention than if you just choose a random tennis match, right? So, you know, you take my, my pick. Oh, he likes Elena Rybakina today. You know, she's playing Simona Halep. Okay, I'll turn that on. I'll tell his pick for $5. But take your own notes, right? Learn the game. But it, I feel like it just gives you a little more invested. So I would say when I first started doing it, I was doing that a lot. You know, I would tail some of the better bettors, especially on the men's side because I didn't know it as well, just to give me like a little bit of uh, uh, what's the word? Mo um, skin in the game, right? So I cared about mm -hmm. the outcome of the match. I'm not going to get bored. Uh, three games in, right? Because uh, I got a little bit of money on it here, right? Uh, and, you know, use that to basically just capture your attention, but then try and take notes about those things I saw. And then, um, you know, there's going to be other people and other resources where you can learn even more about tennis strategy. And, and I think a lot of times that people start liking um, to back certain styles of players, you know, like uh, I, I personally, you know, sometimes to my detriment, I prefer power players going against pushers. Um, the old term, the matches on her racket. But see what you prefer. Um, you know, you're tailing someone. You got a little bit invested. You know, just five bucks. Take notes on the match. But, you know, there's 32 matches. How are you going to know which one to watch and take notes on? Well, hey, this great tennis capper said to make this bet. Let me throw $5 on it, take some notes, and then go from there. So my advice for tailing is it just kind of, you know, we talked about you don't have time to, to learn everything earlier, you know, where the model is like a guide. This is kind of a guide of maybe just some players you should be taking notes on because, Obviously, a good tennis better thinks there's an advantage 
uh, in this person's match. Take the notes and try and figure out why. I mean, th this was a great strategy session, buddy. I, I really appreciate it. Spread a stare. Plug all the stuff you're doing. You're doing a lot of different things. You're not working with any sports books, so we're fine. We could talk about that on the Denver City Cast presented by Bet Rivers. But you do a lot of content, so let's hear it. How can people find it? Yeah, so my main home, of course, is Run Pure Bets that you mentioned. We are affiliated with Run Pure Sports, uh, and, and we really have a lot of fun over there. So I do daily shows, uh, usually 3.30 Eastern uh, for the NBA. It's the NBA rundown. That's what we call it. I go over the sides and the totals. Uh, Tyler uh, that you brought on earlier. It goes over the props. And then we usually bring on, you know, a different expert per day from the Run Pure Sports DFS coordinator community. And they, you know, they give us our thoughts on the games because you can't learn as much as those guys learn, right, about each and every player in the NBA and not have an opinion about who's going to win the game or if it's going to be a high-scoring game or low-scoring game, right? So, so even though they might not be betting experts, they, they're always helpful in finding us with different angles. And they also help me learn the rotation even more as they tell me, hey, this player gets the extra uses, this does that. Well, that's easier for me to help navigate some of this injury news, right? So I think the DFS and the betting are correlated. So every day at 3.30 Eastern, we do that. Tyler and I do an NFL show um, three times a week where we go over uh, Mondays of fun. So Mondays in the betting industry, this is so much fun because usually we only look ahead. So Monday we get to do a, 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 a review show where we kind of talk about what happened just just in the style of any type of sports media or sports radio, right? Where we just talk about what's happened. That's fun. Then we look forward to the Monday night game. On Thursday, we go over the sides and the totals for the week. And then on Friday, uh, you know, I pretty much just do what you do so well, host and let Tyler give out some winning bets. So, uh, you know, Run Pure Bets is my main home. I also write articles for Bookmakers Review and BetUS, and I do those uh, on the NFL, on the NBA. And when tennis starts back up, I'll be doing those as well. Um, usually on those, you know, I just choose a game that I like, write about it, uh, give you the reasons why I like the pick. And then, of course, you know, give out a winning pick at the end. So uh, I'm enjoying uh, doing all the content. Uh, but I really like, you know, if, if you enjoyed this today, I think you'd really enjoy uh, the NBA rundown produced by Run Pure Bets. Uh, come join us every day. Uh, check out my handle at Spread uh, I'll tweet out the link every day. You can join us in the chat. And, uh, you know, hey, we like to go off the script. So if you have some questions, even off something you heard today. Yeah throw it in the chat on those shows and, and you know, most likely uh, we'll be able to address it. So uh, it's been so much fun, you know, doing all this uh, sports gambling content, you know, it's fun to be a pro better, but it's also fun to interact, uh, put yourself out there and, and then uh, network with other pro gamblers as well. And, and that's what the Rum True Bets community has provided me. So I'll say this, keep listening to my pod, check out VEASAN, check out spread stuff, then go to Bet Rivers and make your bet. How about that? Uh, like I'm holding, <laughs> you know me, Spread, thank you so much for the time. I mean, this was really, really great stuff. Um, spread a stare, follow him on Twitter, follow me on Twitter, at Holden Radio. And again, thank you very much for checking out the Denver CityCast presented by Bet Rivers. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.